0: Hello, welcome, gentlemen. How are we on this uh, Tuesday night? This freezing Tuesday night, Jordan Warren.
1: Oh, I'm a, I'm okay, thanks, Jared. I'm sitting at the uh, at the local with a bottle of water and uh, with the air conditioning on, so I'm uh, I'm as uh, good as I'll ever be, I think. That's
0: what the local's known for—just a clear bottle of water, isn't it?
1: Oh well, at the moment, mate, it's uh, it's a crime against humanity to have a beer in a pub. So we're uh, we've got to you know make new uh, things the norm, and uh, I'm just doing my part.
0: And Captain Arvella, how are you? It's been a, despite no football on, there's been a lot of talk going on this week.
2: Plenty of talk and I'm um, well. Jared, it's good to hear your voice and it's good to hear the voice of John Warren in the famous Jimbrew pub. Uh, I am sitting by myself in my apartment, once again, by myself. Yeah, how are your beans earlier? I've had uh, had a, some beans mixed with some rice, onion, garlic and some mushrooms, mixed them all together. Bit of a bit of a uh, porterhouse steak on the side. It was nice. That's fantastic. But uh,
0: football's back finally in uh, some sort of capacity tonight. I actually coached my first session in about three months tonight. I was freezing, and uh, like like I said uh, to one of my one of my mates earlier, he's just like, there's nothing nothing says football like a cold and freezing windy night at Ian McLennan in uh, about nine degree... 9-degree temperatures. Uh, Jordan, I reckon you could, uh, could uh, sympathise with me considering we're both going to be training there over the next few weeks.
1: I, th- I think it's going to be a uh, very cold winter. I think that when we when we come back to some real football, we're going to need to have a few layers on during the training. Um, but I, I'll tell you what, uh, uh, there's some other grounds around the Illawarra, like Terry Reserve, for example, I can think of one, uh, the Khymer Sporting Complex. Uh, yeah, I think it's just all grounds in the Illawarra, just when that winter Coldness comes. It's just oh, it's it's brutal, and you feel like you're playing in, uh, you know, Manchester in the prime Premier League conditions.
0: Topical question around that. I'll start with you, Dil. What, like, out of any ground in the Illawarra, which one do you reckon would be the worst in the middle of winter to train at? Like like, freezing cold, the worst one.
2: I literally just penned down in case this topic came up earlier. I remember playing (laughs) a Friday, a Friday night game down at Kayama, one. Well, obviously, one night in the middle of winter. I was playing for Dapdo, and I was, as a goalkeeper, I was in goals, and Kymar weren't very good in that particular competition. They ran, ran near the bottom of the table. We were the we won the league that year, and I didn't touch the ball in that whole entire match. And so I was basically just sitting, standing in, like, you know, close to probably three or four degrees for... Um, Seventy minutes or whatever under 16's plate at the time, so that's that sticks out in my mind as probably the coldest. Just, just a big, open, hollow quarry. Um, yeah, and that that would probably be right up there. I've also I can also remember going to a couple of uh, evening games out at Cobram last year, which was pretty freezing out <laughs> in the country as well.
0: Yeah, a couple of games that. Buddy, oh, I can I can think of I can think. oak Flats against helensburg last year was my first district league game reporting, and I had probably about five layers on with gloves and everything, and I was still shivering. Like when I got in the car, it was just the most coldest day of football that I've ever been a part of. And the fact that I wasn't playing, it it was just as bad.
1: Uh, another one. Sorry, Jared. Don't you love when you're reporting it uh with the uh, reporting on games, and you are. Uh... You dress up in the shirts and shorts and T-shirt for the two thirty kickoff, and then by four thirty you uh, just regret all life decisions. You should have brought about three layers. Just a drastic change in weather in the Illawarra between two and four.
2: Well, I think Macedonia Park's the worst ground for that. It's you reckon? Because of the, the difference between hot and cold is quite uh, quite stark there. I reckon because you can sit out there in the sun, and then once the sun starts to go behind the the mountains, it gets uh, cold pretty quickly next to the highway there. See, I reckon you could
0: say the same about Tarawana Oval because they're the closest field to the Grant to the um to the hills, sorry, to the mountains, and uh, the sun goes down earlier there than most places in the Illawarra, so it gets cold very, very quick. But uh, yeah, another one I, I can think of when I was in juniors once we actually played middle of July at the Southern Highlands of all places at a david wood sporting complex and it was at eight thirty in the morning kickoff which was you know prime time for middle of winter and there was actually frost and snow on the ground as we turned up and uh i remember by the time we kicked off it was probably about two degrees so so yeah it was just uh <laughs> unbelievable moving on to some actual football now now project restart deal there's uh been announcements that under 18 community sport will return on july the 1st but uh what about senior sport, though? There hasn't been much clarification surrounding it yet.
2: Yeah, that came through today that junior sport can resume from July 1 in terms of matches being played, but it is still quite up in the air whether, when, if and when, senior sport will be back up and running. Adrian Archuli has been tweeting a fair bit out today saying the Football New South Wales is looking for clarification from the, the people in charge up in government as to when they'll be able to start getting the ball rolling, so that'll be interesting to see but I've, I can understand why junior sport is the priority I believe it should be the priority um, financially it's very important for all associations because the numbers involved are a lot higher but there's also the social and health benefits for thousands of kids throughout Australia, well throughout New South Wales in this specific example and I think it probably means a lot more in a child's life to be able to play sport than it does in an adults as well. I know that's something that I know a lot of people will be thinking that the higher level should be playing, but I think it's very important for the kids to get back out there. So yeah, a really positive step. And I would imagine that players 18 plus will soon be able to uh, start playing as well. Yeah. That was going to be
0: my follow-up question. Like I know the fair point and all the points that you've made, but, uh, they're saying that under eighteens can start playing in July first, and uh why do you reckon that they they haven't made any clarification on over eighteens yet? I mean, it's the same game after all. I have no idea. Jordan,
2: Any clue? No theories? Um Well There's the There's probably
1: um have really. in, in terms of the um you know with schools going back now um and there's been sort of a little bit evidence to suggest in terms of COVID-19 that children and kids are uh you know seem to be less affected whether or not they're asymptomatic um but that's probably made it a little bit safer for you know under 18s and youngers to go back to sport as opposed to adults that might have some underlying health conditions I, I suppose that's that's sort of my theory behind it but um yeah, it's it's an interesting one. Anyway, that the juniors are, are back uh, kicking the ball around before the seniors.
0: I'm hearing I've heard a couple of uh, people talking that they're saying that uh, junior sport's going to be used as an indication to evaluate when senior sport can return, and obviously evaluating some certain factors surrounding, uh, you know, organising sport in general. But uh, we'll just wait and see over the next. I think it'll be, we'll be a lot
2: a lot harder to manage junior sport. Yeah, as well because you've got. Less team. More teams, sorry. More teams, more fields involved, parents are involved. Once again, I think it I think it should be the I believe it should be the priority. Um, yeah. even though even though we're mainly focusing on senior football. But um It's important see, for the kids I see it as a harder thing to 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 get right.
1: It's important for the well, kids, the kids to sort of yeah, get get to kick the ball around on, on the weekend and um, you know, fall in love with the game as opposed to the seniors that, you know, already are in the game for for life sort of thing, and it's important to keep up the participation numbers that we're you know we're so proud of in this country to keep growing. And it's important to for people to for, for the little ones especially to keep keep playing the game.
0: Questions surrounding that: Where do uh, where do all Socceroos start? They all start in juniors, don't they?
2: Oh, is that, is that, a, C, is that a C license quote or
0: something? No, it's definitely not. It's uh, one that came up on the top of my head
2: right now, which uh, I'm very proud of. Dome piece.
1: All Thanks, fellas. Right. Yeah, no, thank you. That's, uh,
2: that's really <laughs> oh, we've got some live action from Jabberu. <laughs>
1: we've got some locals.
2: Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, this is this is the challenges that
0: arise being a part of the Jamboree pub. You get the locals joining in for a bit of a bit of viewers uh, interaction. Deal. It's How no good is <laughs> this? Are you
1: talking now? Yeah, they stopped because you... you, oh, right. you <laughs> oh, no, we haven't stopped. We
0: definitely haven't stopped.
1: Like, like losers. What's his thoughts yeah.
0: on the restart of football? Corners loser. <laughs> <Cornus laughs> losers. That's unbelievable. The pub, shot, the pub shot an hour and a half ago. Oh, yeah. the pub shot an hour and a half ago. Yeah. Yeah. Man.
1: Yeah. <laughs> see you, mate. And see you later, Chief. Sorry, boys. That,
0: that's You know that's going to be published, right?
2: Is that public? Yeah, yeah, I don't
1: care. we've lost him, did you hear them?
2: Did you hear them call? We know. Uh, we know what politicians about his
1: own.
0: Yeah, call, call, call us losers. Call us losers. We're, we're poofed. This we're talking about football, aren't we? Yeah. Anyway, let's actually talk some football now, so yeah. Dylan. You've heard you've heard a couple of
2: rumours on the grapevine about some player movements locally. Yeah, well, it has been an interesting week. Obviously, we spoke about Julian Minantello moving to the Oak Flats Falcons last week. You guys would have seen the tweet that I put up a few days ago regarding a particular player moving to or potentially signing for a third division side. See <laughs> ya. <laughs> this is a um, a player that's been involved in two successful grand final sides, so. Is it confirmed yet? No, not at this stage. So, And that's why I did add to the tweet that it's still to be confirmed because basically no registrations are really uh, getting put over the line at this stage. So I guess there could be a U-turn. But even I've heard of a a few other names, fairly big local names that might um, be taking the year off to focus on other things, um, which could be... uh, which could lead to a lot of a lot of interesting opportunities coming up for some younger players and fringe players as well. Something that I also tweeted out this afternoon.
0: That's the I reckon that's the biggest positive to come out of this. Still, if players moving, players who are obviously the the big name players, as you say, in the local league. If it gives the youth players a go. It's what everyone's been harping on about, youth development, youth development. So it can only be a good thing, don't you think? Well, it could
2: really offer some crucial minutes for them to really show if they're up to playing at a higher level. And if they are able to impress, they could be mainstay come twenty twenty one. Exactly right. Now, we've also heard
0: rumours along the grapevine about surrounding promotion. And you're uh, you more more so than anyone have uh, got, got all the information in regards to this deal. So uh, tell us what you know about promotion so far.
2: Once again, another topic that we've gone over in the past. Obviously, everything everything uh, changes from week to week, but it does seem as if there won't be promotional relegation this season. And the main thing that I want to add about this is talking to a few distributed clubs they're quite unhappy they're quite unhappy about the prospect of no promotion which i think in fairness is probably fair enough given that given the amount of preparation that goes into getting a side ready for a promotion push in in many ways while some of the teams in the district league only get up and running a couple of months before the season starts the ones that are really pushing for it are probably you know as prepared as most sides in the Premier League, so I can understand why they uh, they would be unhappy with without that carrot of promotion. Because one thing that kept coming up was that people don't remember oh, remember teams that won the district league. They remember teams that got promoted, and I think that's a pretty fair fair point. And while Yellow Arrow Premier League is obviously the top product, it's always important to have a side of what's going on in the second division.
0: Yeah, well, Jordan, imagine if you were imagine if you were Oak Flats Falcons right now, and you just picked up a big player, and Julia Julia Minitello, but you can't fight for promotion. Like, how would you feel if you were them, just putting your put yourself in them shoes? How how do you reckon you'd feel? I
1: oh, you would you would feel pretty um, ripped off. But I, I do think that in the circumstances, there is got to be a bit of leeway. Uh, I we sort of touched on this last week, but with it with a Proposed shortened season. Well, it will be. It will be a shorter season. Obviously, um, it's it's a little bit uh, unfair and uh, not morally right to, for a, there to be promotion and relegation um, with with such a shortened season. Uh, but in saying that, if you if I was in Oak Flats' shoes, I I wouldn't be um, to. I, I I would be pretty upset, I guess, in a way to n- n- sort of have no real goals at the end of the season other than winning the comp but in saying that i know that you can say that there's nothing to fight for in terms of promotion and relegation but there's no football team or no football player that wants to lose if they're passionate about it so I'm sure they'll still you know put in 110 percent and play to their abilities with it and try and win the comp because at the end of the day it's still a, a winner's medal um, but in saying that uh, it's and I sort of touched on this last week it's a bit of an asterisk on this season—not just the Illawarra Premier League and Illawarra District League, but but every football code and competition around the world. Really, uh, it's um, yeah, it's it's like, un- it's unlikely to ever happen again in our lifetime. So, in in my opinion, it's um, something that everyone has just got to get past. And if and as long as we, you know, get through this year, and uh, everything should be back to normal next season.
0: Yeah, it seems like because obviously we put out a poll on social media on about Friday night, and it seems like the community split about it too. It's it's like we we asked them should there be promotion, should there be relegation? Like it's pretty much even Stevens with regards to that. It's like not not many people. I reckon I reckon they're all they're all like us. Like we don't know. times
1: it's a bit of a um it's yeah in in terms of you you don't like to talk about it but the financial side of things in the in both leagues um you know teams will be struggling for their regular gate revenue um canteen revenue sponsorship revenue it's essentially it will essentially you know teams will break even if not lose money this season to play so it's sort of you know the the idea of getting promoted and relegated during this season Say uh, a Premier League side got relegated, well, they'll put up the argument that they did not have the funds to, i.e., you know, fund their their roster or have the appropriate training facilities. For example, I just think if there was a relegation in the Premier League, uh, it, it it really would not be fair, um, which is a shame for the the promotion side of things because promotion is one of the things that makes football. Such a, a joy to watch is teams fighting for pr- both promotion and relegation, but I just don't think, in my opinion, that it would be 100% fair in terms of the financial backing, or lack of financial backing this season, but hopefully next season teams are back on track and then we can sort of move on from there.
0: Yeah, it seems like it's unfair to have relegation, but it's also unfair not to have promotion. <laughs> but uh, like I said last week, I'm glad I'm not making the decisions around that. Now, Dil, we're also hearing rumours that about uh, the structure of grades this year and it's been uh, received a bit controversially, although nothing has been confirmed yet. Can you tell us a bit more about it?
2: There's been a bit of talk about the new all-age grade not being implemented this season with just a youth grade and a first grade side getting put out by each club. And, look, talking to... Teams, this when I've broached this with clubs, mostly it's been Premier League clubs. Some seem quite for the idea of just playing with two teams this year, and some, some have been uh, less for the idea. I guess the three-tier system has had a lot of issues over the years, but this year you've got an issue of... You know, if you cut that reserve grade team, you're going to have to cut players out of your overall squad and potentially there's there's clubs that have already signed up, say 20, 25, 6, 7, 8 players to play across those two senior grades and to cut that down to whether it be 17 or 18 could be pretty rough on a few players that might uh, have to start looking for another club further down the footballing pyramid perhaps. Um, Just talking to... A coach this afternoon. They were saying how that, that basically this is someone that was that was uh, against having two grades this season. That their squad basically because they've already lost a few players that are unable to play, such as their visa players and whatnot that aren't in the country anymore. They've already had to pull up some players from the reserve grade side. So that if a few injuries happen down the line, they could be in a really tough position uh, if they were forced to field two uh, all-age sides, so an all-age side or a reserve grade side plus the first grade side. Um, So it's a a tricky one because it could lead to a a number of players being forced to look for another club or potentially in a worse situation go without football at all this season. Yeah,
0: touching on that point, Jordan, I I honestly... um... When you first heard about this, I don't really see much benefit about having two grades. Do you see any benefits?
1: Oh, yeah, I was the bit the same as you, Jared. like I've only heard this today, but um, I can see both sides. Uh, but in saying that there's it's gonna be tough in terms of if there's two grades um, cutting out an all age side because you know you've got the the a lot of players in all age now that the the formats change, it used to be under twenty threes and and so on. But with the all age, you can clubs have signed players that are, you know, say thirty years old, but but either don't want to play first grade or or can't make the first grade squad. Um, there's too many competition for places. I just think that yeah, like Dylan said before, if, if it goes to two grades, it's it's sort of leaving a few players to sort of fight for positions down in the in the second division, or or if, if they're in the second division, fighting for places in the in the community league, it's. It's um, sort of putting players down the the pecking order, I suppose, and and there's only so many spots to fill at each club, and, and it just makes you think the the overall sense of it is that players will miss out on playing football, which is not what we want in this country to start with. Um, I in my yeah, in my opinion, I think that it's uh, the three gate the three grade system should work best, but in saying that, it is an extraordinary situation where there's really hardly any, if any, visa players, and it there will be there could be a situation with injuries where um, squads are very light. But in saying that, if you look to the other side of the the coin, perhaps it, mm. this could you know, if there was injuries in first grade that, and if all three grades were to remain, it would give a good opportunity for some all age and under or some youth grade players to play first grade. I mean, it's probably. If this is probably the best season out of any to give youth grade a go, if, if there's no uh, consequences of relegation uh, or, or promotion, um, it's yeah that could be the other side of the 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 coin, the, the positive side of it, that it could give a lot of uh, chance to um, some younger players if there was three grades to remain in the in the uh, respective leagues.
0: So, Dill. Deal- I'm a bit confused. Question about this proposed two grades idea. Is it just for Premier League or would it just be for both for Premier League and District League?
2: I'm not too sure about that. I think it would be an Illawarra Premier League and District League thing.
0: You would think so. So if you're doing Illawarra Premier League and District League and you take out the middle grade, that's the, you'd say, what, 16 positions available per team minus might give or take a couple here or there. 16 by 24 is 384 possible players who would need to find a club. Now, is is, is, is that is that concerning? Because I, I look at that number and I find that awfully concerning.
2: Well, there's already players that aren't going to play. So, in terms of say the visa players, and there's already some people that have already made the conscious decision that they're not going to be playing this season. But obviously, that number is going to be significantly lower than that uh, three hundred and what did you say, sixty four number? That 300, you... 380 odd. Yeah, but still, yeah. there's still there'll be a so, lot of
0: a lot of players looking for yeah, that. The cost. That's
2: that's the concern, really. Um, yeah. And that's what you need to weigh up uh, is is are uh, the governing body is going to say, look, or oh, um, You guys are going to have to miss out. and ultimately, that's a hard conversation that uh, clubs and coaches and presidents would have to have with their players if it does come to that.
0: Yeah, it's trying times we live in, but uh,
2: apparently there's going to be rule changes with regards to substitute as well. Uh, Potentially, there was talk about this five-sub rule. This has been implemented in professional football uh, already in the Bundesliga where they've been out, they're allowed to make five substitutes but in three a lot of times so for example you make one sub in the 50th minute the next sub in the 55th minute then you can make say three, you have to make the remaining three subs in your in the next time you make those changes um, and the reason that's been put forward for that seems to be not just not specifically like in the Bundesliga it seems to be because of say the the uh, fitness and um, the susceptibility to injury and trying to prevent that, but here it seems to be perhaps more linked to that idea of that second grade being cut in order to give all the players on the bench playing time, um, which you know I can see the pros and cons to that. Nathan Balsedo commented on a tweet I did earlier and said, "Do you think any rule changes will be in place this year? Number of substitutes? Question mark. As we're talking about now, would be tough for some players to rock up and sit on the bench all game whilst giving up their time during the week, which is a fair point. But you know, if you're playing senior football, that's that's a part of it. I think. Yeah, one well, understands the competitive
0: nature which separates." this type of football from community league football, basically Jordan, <laughs> like you said, you, you were talking about earlier about just having a, having a kick with your mates. You were thinking about maybe just having, joining a fun team or something like that. But you said, I remember our conversation the other day about it. You said you wouldn't yeah, be able to handle the, you wouldn't be able to handle the uh, non-competitive, the it.
1: Yeah. It's, um, it's, a, it's a, a personal um, sort of, you know, um, opinion, uh, you you want to in my yeah you, you want to play a, as high level as you can because in in say twenty years time when your legs don't you know do what you want to do you know it's it's that's when you sort of um, if you that's when you play the the kick around with your mates thing like if you if you're good enough and and you're willing to dedicate the time and make the best out of yourselves in terms of football I don't see why not um, but in saying that I, I yeah, the number that you brought up before, Jared, the three hundred eighty-four, looking for a club—that's uh, quite staggering. Uh, but in saying that, how many players? I'm going to take is-
0: a couple away from that, with obviously the fact there's about visa players that yeah. are dealing with as well. But it's still, a large number. It's Even a large number.
2: if you number. cut that number in half, it's a large number of players.
1: Yeah, play. exactly right. Yeah, what I was thinking when you said that before um, is, it, is the players that that are getting cut that want to progress their game further to play first grade regularly, they'll stay and train anyway and fight for positions. I, I know that, that not all of them can, but there will be a, a select number of players in all age teams if if the two grade thing passes. There will be players that will just be happy to train every week and fight for their spot for a first grade team with injuries to come through. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's, um, it's all, yeah, to, back to your comment before, Jared, about Playing the best you can—it's all about bettering yourself and and um, yeah, just trying to pl- like play the um, the best football that you can because that's the most enjoyable sort of uh, part of the game—is the competitiveness.
0: Well, to, counter to your point about um, young boys looking to push on and find for first grade spots, even though reserve grade might be scrapped, don't you think? Let's say, let's say there's, there was an up and coming seventeen-year-old playing reserve grade at the moment. He he was hoping to get in the first grade within the next couple of years. But you're still looking at a couple of blokes who are ahead of him already, even before before a guy even makes a squad and even gets a shirt. Don't you reckon it'd be demotivating for players that age especially and players looking to push on, like training your, your butt off every week only to be told that, look, you're, you're not far off the squad yet and you're not in the squad yet. You're not getting a shirt. So it I get, get what you mean about... The players with a good attitude and fighting, but it'd just be annoying just training every week and not having a chance to play on the weekend. Not only that, it would hinder their development. Even though training as good as they can, if they're not playing games, they're not developing as much as they can. So it's it's kind of a yeah, it's a lot of pros and cons to some of the points we're speaking about at the moment. Yeah, yeah. In
1: in short, in short, Jared, I do agree with you um, in terms of that, um, but. I think that like Dylan said before part of senior football is that competitiveness and you know if you want if you if you're looking to play at that high level you know there's ups and downs and that's the that's professional football and even in the in the semi pro um sec, uh, uh, leagues that we that we cover um it's still relatively competitive and and these uh 17 year old kids I think that that sort of it's it is demoralizing when they're not playing but I do think it teaches a bit of resilience as well to try and you know it makes it makes training more competitive to have players fighting for spots as opposed to having 15 or having 11 first graders that know they're getting picked every week if you've got this 17 year old coming through like you say then it's and and he's you know he's you know putting his foot in at training and and you know playing at a very high tempo it just makes the the, the established first graders a Put, put themselves on notice a little bit and if there's an injury then that 17 year old is you know ready to play then I think that's all that he, he or she can do at the moment in in these circumstances all you can do is is train your hardest and I, I get what you're saying about the hindrance the hindrance thing about yeah. the game um but I do I do think in general for the because of coronavirus the junior football all players playing junior football and you know, lower level senior football, like young young senior footballers, that they have been hindered this season. But that's not anything to do with the the IPL yeah. or IDL. That's not that's obviously not their fault. It's the it's the outbreak. Um, but I'm but I just think that yeah. any high level training would be good at the moment um, for a a young a young kid coming through.
0: Yeah, it's better than nothing. Like we've gone without football for three months. We just want something. Moving on now. Football New South Wales have made a request for exemption to, I believe it was New South Wales uh, sport to allow contact training and uh, matches. So, according to the Sydney Morning Herald article, football New South Wales want games to begin within about six weeks. Although they are going to have to negotiate with other sports too. My question to you boys is: Are the other sport? Do you reckon the other sports are going to cause much issues? Because I'll be completely honest with you, I wouldn't rule it out.
1: Ah. Oh. In terms of uh, issues, in terms of um,
0: like scheduling and stuff like that, yeah, yeah, well, it's, uh,
1: yeah, it's um, rounds
0: and all that. It's just it, like I haven't seen many sports being hospitable to us at the best of times, let alone mm-hmm. times like this.
1: We do always, yeah, in terms of football, we do always uh, have this, I guess, chip on our shoulder because of you know how we've. How the game has been treated over the years, and it's definitely improved. But I, yeah, I get what you're saying that there's, you know, there could be a, a blockage between, a, a, you know, Group Seven Rugby League and and cricket and and other sports, um, for for grounds and and stuff like that. Um, I, I guess the short answer is we just don't know until we until it happens. Um, and uh, yeah, we just have to see where it goes from there.
0: Yeah, touching on the quote at the end of the Sydney Morning Herald article, though. And it's, uh, it's grim reading for New South Wales MPL one fans. I said, the senior men's MPL one season is set to be scrapped for 2020 due to financial hardship for the clubs. Uh, the competition, which is obviously one below the A-League, will almost certainly not go ahead this season. However, the clubs are negotiating an 11-game cup competition with football New South Wales. Uh, Dil, what did you think after reading that?
2: It was a pretty interesting way to end that article. I hey. believe a few editors would say that that is a perfect example of burying the lead because it's quite a it's quite a hefty topic. I just do want to point out that this was obviously written yesterday, so that six weeks has obviously been uh, put forward. you can take two weeks off that because that announcement yeah. was made regarding the start from July 1. Um, but yeah, I've, I've heard, obviously my I, most of the people I am able to talk to are you know related to the IPL and IDL rather than the MPL, but I've heard that a number of clubs in that league in that top flight senior men's competition are in some serious financial uh, hardship because of the amount of money that they put on the table for their squads, and they're simply not going to be able to pay those if the competition is to go ahead in its normal manner. And um, I've heard of some players, some clubs already asking their players to play for free, which I've got to be honest, for the second tier of Australian football is a pretty dodgy look in my opinion. Um, and I don't know if that's really the right way to go about things. That 11-game competition would be interesting. I'd be interested to know... How what sort of structure that would be, whether it just be, simply be a league, league a, re, a reformatted league and you can call it the, I don't know, the Coronavirus Cup or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> um, but w- whether that's a, a serious competition or just, you know, a kickabout. But it's interesting that it didn't mention anything about the lower divisions, obviously. Yeah, the, they'd be kind of left in the blue at the moment, MPL 2, MPL 4. The promotion relegation topics that we were talking about beforehand teams down into MPL 4, such as the Flame and MPL 3, and MPL 2, they're all looking for a promotion because teams down there don't want to be down there, so they would want a full season, no doubt. And uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens then. of course, the women's side of things as well. I am, um, I know that the Stingray's coach, Bruce Tilter, has been raring to get his squad ready to go, and uh. He's hoping the season goes ahead uh, to its full capacity to have a proper competition. But, uh, yeah, there's still plenty of um, uncertainty about how that competition will stru- uh, shape up as well. Yeah, trying times, like we've said many times.
0: Now, goalkeepers, Dylan. Now, I wanted to, uh, obviously, you were a goalkeeper uh, during your times on the pitch. But uh, some, something funny I want to point out before we get into it. Now we did put out a Facebook post last night asking people who their favorite local goalkeeper was, and I kid you not, barely anyone took it seriously, Jordan. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we didn't get any many uh, viewer viewer responses though. Although the ones we did, they were all for uh, Mitchell Bloats back in back in the day. I'll uh, talk to you about this one, Dylan, so because I think you've seen Mitchell Blows more than what Jordan and I have. Obviously, he was a little bit before our time, not too much, but. Yeah, there's a lot of people uh, putting Mitchell Blows' name for it as the best keeper they've seen locally. How about yourself?
2: Yeah, I noticed that. And whenever I've talked about uh, best of teams in the past, uh, Mitchell's name has come up. His career, he was obviously linked to that Fury franchise over the years and you know, I only got to see the back end of his career as well, and he was uh, still one of the better goalkeepers in the competition. He finished up in two thousand and seventeen. He got a pretty serious career, well, career, a pretty serious injury that forced him out for the rest of the season. I and mean, he decided to hang up his gloves. But yeah, he was a a key figure in that setup at the Fury, and uh, of course, before the Fury, he was also linked with Albion Parker. He took out a Premiership with them. Uh, in the late noughties as well. And he was on the books of Sydney FC back in the early days of the A-League as well. So, you know, I, it's pretty fair to say that he is a very worthwhile shout as one of the best goalkeepers in the league. And it's no, no surprise that his name get, gets mentioned when these questions come up. One thing that I will say before we get into further into this conversation, I was talking with someone about this earlier today and they did say it's impossible and... And it would be stupid to compare different eras as well, which is fair enough, because it's uh, obviously we're relatively young and haven't seen as much uh, IPL as some. And back in, you know, look at the teams around the uh, turn of the century, there was players around then that people would say were the best of the the league scene. But yeah, it's hard to compare.
0: Yeah, I well, it's just asking people who, who their who their favourite goalkeeper was. Obviously, we can't say who's the who's the best. Like, this is the best guy who's played goals, and that's it. It's all about discussing the players who uh, have been a part. But uh, talking about goalkeepers, it's a this is a bit topical, but it's a bit, it's a, I find it strange how goalkeepers work. To be honest, they go off away from the main group, train on their own, and then they just come back to the squad for the end of the session for a game, like. No other position on the field could do that, Jordan. You can imagine being a, imagine being a defender and doing that.
1: I, I, I actually often have moments where I we're doing all this running, where, you know, 90 minutes. Where the, you wish
0: you were a goalkeeper?
1: And and I honestly think, oh, oh, man, I wish I actually, you know, was a goalkeeper. Like there's, you know, no running, but then the, the reflex thing uh, is a different kettle of fish than, uh, than, you know, you've got to have lightning reflexes as opposed to, a defender that's uh, traditionally can be a little bit uh, slow off the pace, but um, yeah, that's
0: reflex is one thing that I don't have. That's for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, I, as a defender, you can get away with uh, well, as a goalkeeper too, you can get away with not not uh, explosive pace. But uh, no, I, I I do often think that being a goalkeeper would be a bit of a a bit a bit uh, too much fun at times. There, you know, they're all the diving around, and there's occasionally as a as a kid, me personally, you know, I'd, I'd love to hop the hopping goals in the uh, seven aside or a futsal game just to um you know get out get off the field and less much, much less injuries in goals as well it's another point uh but yeah i i, I do uh, agree with you Jared when they uh you, you train off uh with with the goalkeeper coach or with the you know with other goalkeepers it's it is a very different position to mo- to most others like strikers midfielders and and defenders all, all have their differences, but uh, goalkeeper, being that they can use their hands, is uh, much much different. And it almost feels like they're back in the olden days. It almost felt like they weren't a part of the, the actual the game. But but these days, with the um, you know the exploitation of uh, total football, uh, they're a lot more involved. And and keepers worldwide, like as uh, like uh, Edison and uh, Allison Becker in the Premier League, are uh, uh, just as good on the. Uh, on the, with their feet in the tiki taka games is a lot of the players, so it's uh, definitely a changing position. And I, I think uh, with keepers being able to use their feet is a, a very modern skill that will only improve uh, football in general.
0: Yeah, it's uh, most the most unique on position on the field for sure. But uh, a topical question now: I have spoken to people over the years, and. There's there's some people I speak to who don't think keepers are as dominant in the air as they were back in the past. I've I've actually heard statements that goalkeepers these days are more like shot stoppers rather than actual goalkeepers. To be honest, um, I'll start with you, Dil. Like it's probably topic. It's topical as. But what's your take on that statement?
2: I think that the. That's an interesting point. One thing that's happened a lot in professional football over the last few years with goalkeepers is they've been trained to punch the ball rather than catch the ball. So the ability... Sec- sorry sorry to interrupt you. They're just
0: second to that
2: punching
0: the ball rather than catching it. My opinion is if you can get two hands to the ball and you're punching it, why don't you just catch it? You know, like, would you rather just punch the ball with two hands into possibly danger, or you know, possibly get that the other team can get the ball back. Or would you rather just catch it and then you're in control of the ball for the next six seconds? Like, yeah, like you're you're the only one here who's played goalkeeper, but like, like you understand my point, obviously.
2: Well, I'm literally looking at a tweet from Kepa Asierbeaglar. like I was just scrolling on my Twitter, and this, this one's just come up, but. Uh, and he's, he's a, a goalkeeper that's a prime example of that. Obviously, he's a bit shorter as well. And I think that, that punching thing has opened up opportunities for shorter goalkeepers as well. But obviously, okay. the theory that you get two hands to it, but the punching thing is also you're allowed... It's easier to get one hand to, to the ball than two hands. So you're able to reach higher and reach further with just that one hand. And obviously, there's a risk of dropping the ball on the way down. And obviously punching it into a dangerous area, is not going to help your team scores. But yes, I think that's just a, you know, the people in, in uh, you know, football analysis seems to seem to think that the chances of, um, you know, the team being put back under the pressure are reduced by punching in, And that's, I guess, what has led to that sort of theme coming into things. And it's probably one of the... One of the main goalkeeper techniques that you taught fairly early on through goalkeeper training from a really young age is how you sort of have to jump for the ball as well with raising of the knee and whatnot. Because it can mm-hmm. be pretty sort of dangerous jumping up as well because you have bodies flying in everywhere. And if you are not if you don't have a correct technique, it can really expose, say, your ribs and your legs and you can really be taken out and uh, put in a pretty, pretty compromising position, which... Is another. That's the problem with uh, catching the ball as well, because you've got your two arms up there up in the air, and you're basically at the mercy of whatever's going on underneath you. So, yeah, it's a it's a um, it's a it's a debate that's going to continue every because basically, you know, everyone's seen examples of goalkeepers miss punching a ball and it falling to a striker or whatnot and conceding a goal, but uh, I guess there is a logic to it.
0: Yeah. Now, Jordan, I'm going to give you a statement right now and I want you to tell me what you think of it. Outfield players make a name for themselves by doing good things. Unfortunately, though, goalkeepers make a name for themselves by doing the wrong things. <laughs> Topical?
1: Yeah, yeah it's, it goes back to that argument of uh, or that statement of who, who would want to be a goalkeeper, I guess. Um, yeah, It's but then, then again, um, you have goalkeepers around the world that are known now. I, I feel like around the world, goalkeepers are getting more recognition for doing good things. Uh, I.e., I know last year in the Premier League, uh, Liverpool had the best defense, and they do this year too. But but last year specifically, um, with uh, Alison Becker, the Brazilian goalkeeper in goals, he was very safe. He he caught the ball. He he never f- uh, fumbled a, a sort of a, a wobbly shot to a striker. A lot of those things I know from a. I'm a Liverpool fan, but I know from that perspective, knowing from and and you would agree with me, Jared, where we've come from, at Liverpool with uh, keepers such as uh, Simon Mignolet and uh, Loris Karius, uh, where 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 yeah, literally you could. Uh, there was nerves around the stadium every time that he that they touched the ball, whether it was playing out from the back or if they went up in the tried to catch a corner or whatever it was across. But with Allison, it's it's. Uh, you know, every time there's a ball in the box, it's like, oh, it's okay. Al- Al- Allison's got it. Like it's not. There's no concern at all. So I think that having a good goalkeeper, and this is for any team in the world, uh, amateurs, semi-pros, or professionals, it's it's very important to the confidence of the team. And I and I do think that the goalkeeper's mistakes are highlighted, um, obviously, because nine times out of ten they lead to to uh, opposition goals. Uh, but I do think that it's changing. That uh, there's a lot more sympathy to goalkeepers because it is a, a tough position, and and at the end of the day, uh, the team, the other ten players around them's got to, you know, help help them be confident and uh, you know back them up in in any way they can. And uh, I, I do think that uh, it's a changing uh, idea behind the position of goalkeeping.
0: Thankless job, really, isn't it?
1: Well, yeah, exactly right. I, I don't. Uh, I don't envy goalkeepers. I, there's a lot of pressure going into a lot of games being a goalkeeper, and um, there's a not not uh, a, there's not many um, lonelier places in the world than making a mistake as a goalkeeper. I would assume uh, my mind goes back to uh, Loris Karius in the 2018 Champions League re- uh, Champions League final, uh, where I don't think uh, he's ever recovered from uh, a couple of mistakes in the biggest game on earth. So it's uh, yeah, it's um very. It is very thankless, but um at the same time, if you, put, if you practice and uh, you know put put your mind to doing everything correctly, you can uh, be a real hero and an asset to to each team.
0: Now, goalkeeper stories. What? Uh, I'll start with you, deal because you're obviously the goalkeeper out of the three of us. What are some of your goalkeeper stories or experiences with goalkeepers over the years?
2: Well, I actually wrote down lists of like. IPL goalkeeping stories to be fair. Oh, go on. Yeah, yeah. Some um, stories about IPL. Yeah. Uh, you know my, my first one was actually, and all of them happened to be club debuts stories. Well, the first one was about Daniela Acaba's debut for uh, Kembala Fury back in 2017. He came in for the aforementioned Mitchell Blows into a game against Bulleye. So this was a game between two sides that may have been first and second at the time of the night game of Bulls Paddock. 2017, and, yep. Yep, 1v2, I think. And I think Fury potentially might have been at top of this stage. And and basically, Bulleye went out to a two-goal lead, but... Fury, through two Matthew McNabb goals, managed to get the game back to 2-all. And with about three or four minutes to go, Ben McDonald was bearing foot down on goals. And Daniel O'Hara was was able to pull off a magnificent one-on-one save and secure the points for the side, which obviously Fury had their problems with injuries and the season fell away. But, you know, that could have been a crucial point at the end of the day. Uh, And he went on to have a sensational season for Fury that year even and even though he only played half the season I think he should have been one of the two nominations for the goalkeeper of the season and then he went on to Carmel where it didn't quite work out for him and he's uh had last year off but I still think that he's a really young goalkeeper and he has the potential to come back and do some pretty big things uh the Next one is regarding the debut of Kaden Harrison for South United yeah. back in 2018. He made his debut against on Olympic, the side right at the top of the table, fighting off against life for the league title. He so, uh, Jason Blakely would have been injured, uh, I believe. He was either obviously injured or suspended. Um, David Vallage was unavailable, so so young Caden, who I think was sixteen at the time, got the gloves. And I think that South Coast might have been two or three nil that they lost. But there was one, there was one moment in the game where there was a back pass to him, or even even an overheat shot that, but it was going towards him, and Yusuke Uweda was bearing down on on him and. Caden in his first ever senior game, instead of making an error or just booting out it out out of play, he did this little flick over your waiter's outstretched foot and ran around your waiter and calmly cleared the ball upfield. And I just remember thinking the absolute ticker of someone to be able to do that against one of the best strikers the league's ever seen in his day on his debut, and I believe he's now the Youth grade keeper at Tarawana, and obviously, he's still like 18 years old, so he's a name to watch out for. And that was in South Coast v. Bullion Olympic, and it actually leads the other game, also. And this is a less positive one, also was in a game between South Coast and Wollongong Olympic, and it involves a player by the name of Josh Malewski. I know, I wonder if you've have you heard that name before, Ballon? I Have not, have not. He actually played. In South Coast Flames' first ever competitive game, he was in goals for West Pennant Hills Cherrybrook, but oh, he was bad. he was signed on loan in for, to Olympic for one game in 2017 when Hayden Duras was, I believe he was away, he had heard a weekend away or something like that. So they signed this That's this guy from. The under twenties goalkeeper. He was playing. He had a couple of games for Inter, Inter Lions in the MPL two or MPL three that season. They brought him in for this one game, and basically he had nothing to do all game. Once again, if you're, uh, Olympic right at the top of the table, and um, I think Olympic were up two 0 Stefan Demoski in, in his second game with the double, the second game for Olympic, and Malavsky. Uh, basically made an absolute how out of can to concede uh the only considered a goal in his only ever game in the yellow War premier league and that was pretty much the only time he touched the ball all day and i and i thought and i should have said to rob burke and the coach at the time after the game that you may as well have signed me for the game because uh <laughs> he didn't hold himself up to too much but to be fair it was uh a bit of an odd situation that he was chucked into. So that's they're my three stories that I noted down. Um I'll try and think of ones involving me if you want, but you can uh, put your stories if you want. Yeah, well I've got two. One of them's to do with
0: me and goals when I was younger, and the other one is to do with a keeper that I've played. So this is take it, you, take your I'll take you back to a trip a trip down memory lane. This is under elevens at Lakeland's oval. <laughs> Final round of the season, right? And uh, I was playing Vidato at the time and we were playing Victory and I'm in goals for the final game of the season, right? But the night before it was pelting down. So the goal I've gone into, it's got a decent sized mud puddle in the middle of the goal bounce. Anyway, I think because Victory were top of the league and we were quite poor that year. We were up we were down about five nil. But I just looked at this puddle next to me and I just thought, you know what, I don't care if I score any more goals, I am I am finding a reason to jump into this puddle. So the uh the next ball comes along and they have a shot and funnily enough it goes right next to the puddle on the other side of 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 me and i perfectly dived to go and get the ball i perfectly dived right to mask the fact that i just wanted to jump in this puddle and so for the next 20 minutes i had a massive blob of mud down the right side of my body and i was proud of it but <laughs> that's uh my only story in goals the other story though and you were there for this one deal this was a uh, Matty White on when I debuted and you know, made my first grade debut so I don't know if you remember this particular play but prospects just play this ball just in behind the left side of the back line so I've just thought immediately I'll, I have to come across and cut this ball off before it gets too close to the goal so I'm I'm full steam ahead like there's, you can't you can't slow me down now. there's no point, I'm already into it and I get about three metres away from the ball and I just hear over my shoulder, I just hear keeper, keeper and I just thought, oh, shit, I'm about to be taken out here. <laughs> but uh, I beat Whitey to the ball and I have just cleared it out straight away. And immediately Whitey's just dropping F-bombs at me because I beat him to the <laughs> ball and he's called keeper and stuff like that. But the funny thing was that a minute later, there was a corner for a prospect and he just calls out my name and I turn around and he just gives me a wink. <laughs> so, yeah, that's...
1: Uh, okay. if there's anything, if
0: there's, if there's anything that epitomizes Matt White it's uh that sequence of uh, events but uh jordan have you got any stories about goalkeepers
1: i've got a couple about myself um, oh here we go just in the yeah I, I, as everyone knows i'm not a not a goalkeeper by trade but in the uh the annual uh seven Aside tournament just at uh, kevin molshall in uh Jamboree every summer uh I, you know we share the gloves around and uh, this one particular day i thought i'd i'd, I'd don the gloves uh and uh, try and make a few saves. Well, there was this one ball that got played over the top of our uh, defenders, and I was playing sort of a sweeper keeper at seven aside. Uh, no, no offside. So uh, you know, the goalkeeper sort of got to be a bit alert to the on-rushing striker. And uh, you know, I'm uh, the ball's played over the top, and it's bouncing in the air, and and I can see this striker that's got about forty kilos on me, r- r- bearing <laughs> bearing down at me. And the ball's just in the air, and it will not sit. It won't sit. And I thought, oh shit, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to head this. I get up on two two feet, and I head it. But at, at the time of heading it, this striker met me at the ball, but he didn't get the ball. He got me, and I got absolutely belted, and I got smashed like literally. Thought I'd broken something, and uh, yeah, he basically put me on the ground. And I cleared the ball, but um, he definitely got me, and and I, I was down for a little bit, and. Everything was all good on you. He was just going for the ball, and we sort of uh, we shook hands and everything, uh, and um, everything, and it all played on. Well, the second half came around, and uh, another ball was played over the top, and um, and uh, once again, the ball wouldn't bounce, wouldn't bounce. No, it was sorry, it wouldn't sit, wouldn't sit. It was bouncing, and uh, guess what? The striker did the exact same thing, clattered me. I got clattered twice in one game, in one half an hour game. And uh, that basically put an end to my goalkeeping career for that uh, that tournament. I I was more happy to play uh, play a bit of a centre back, centre midfield role for the rest of the season, and I managed to get hurt less outfield than in than in goals.
0: Do you blame it? Do you blame that story on uh, clumsiness from the uh, opposing party, or was it intentional? It was just clumsiness because of the uh, a certain uh, 40, 40, 40 kilo. Uh... I <laughs> feel a disadvantage
1: look look what yeah what you uh you know there's um I wouldn't say it's it wasn't it was definitely wasn't intentional because we were all, everyone on the field were good mates but uh yeah I just think it was probably put it down to a bit of uh, lack of uh game game fitness bit of match fitness it was off season, uh you know a few uh rugby league players like to play a bit of seven aside so I think they just like to put put a few shots on. Uh, it's, yeah, but it wasn't a, a nice feeling, let alone uh, once, but I got clattered twice and, um, yeah, I definitely... Uh, I pulled off a few saves in that game, mind you, but uh, the uh, the clattering of uh, me a couple of times definitely put me off wanting to be a sweeper-keeper. I definitely admire the top keepers in the world that uh, come that try and clear an on, a ball with an on-rushing striker bearing down them because they've uh, got a face, you know, Shots on or, or studs up—it's um it can be a bit a bit daunting at times, but um yeah it's uh, definitely not nothing that or it's definitely something that I don't want to uh, happen again because uh yeah it was not uh was not it did not tickle when I uh, went down.
0: Yeah, I've I've actually thought of another goalkeeping story that I didn't write down. This was actually Futsal Fives at the Frat earlier in the year. And whatever, we're up. Yeah, this is you wait to hear this one so uh we were up 5-0 at half time, right? And they've thought, hey, we're up 5-0, we got leeway. Why don't we get our keeper out and stick uh, stick me in goals? And I could have thought of a thousand reasons why that was a horrible idea, but anyway, by the end of the game, you'd find out why. Well, listen, they ended up calling back five goals within about 10 minutes, but luckily we won 6-5 in the end. <laughs> I was just so bad with my hands and just stopping the ball.
1: You're Claudio like, Cargo, mate. There's no, you can't yeah. save a shot on target.
0: I'm Spider Kalach because I've got the long arms, but i tell you what, I can't handle like him. I'll tell you what. But anyway, that's uh, for any futsal teams who want to take me on. Don't ever stick me in goals. Right. So topic for us as well, best goalkeeper we've ever played with. I'll start with you, Dylan. yourself? Well, I mean, I mean
2: the um, yeah the, the, that that weird position. But I did. I wanted to mention my mate Dylan Lewis, who obviously is an outfielder, but he's a pretty handy futsal goalkeeper. And he was actually the um, when he was in the Wolves Juniors, he was the basically the second choice goalkeeper for his side. Uh, so he's hit pretty handy with the gloves, and so is his brother Brendan Lewis as well, former uh, Buller youth grader and Bagani first grader. He's uh pretty handy with the gloves as well. So I can't really think of um other sort of examples because I'm in that weird position where I've, I was occupying the goals when I was playing.
0: Yeah, my favourite goalkeeper I've played with, and I'm sure you can back me up on this deal, is uh my favourite to play was uh, Matty White. Like, honestly, the last... When I had the chance to play in front of him just a, just like a few times, he's, the bloke's like a brick wall. And, he, he, and he, not only was he a good goalkeeper, he was, he was a funny and good bloke to be around as well. But you can back me up on this statement as well. The last two seasons where he's been at the flame, he's just honestly like come to life. There was, like, there was some games over the last two seasons where he single-handedly kept the flame in games where they really should have been put to bed, to be honest with you.
2: He's a very good goalkeeper. I didn't know him before he signed for the Flame. He had previously in the Illawarra Premier League some time ago and then when he went back to the Shaleven, um for a period of time and I got to interview him a few weeks ago as well. It's a f- fantastic story. He overcame Lequim yeah. be where he is now and now he's um, probably... He'd probably be in the top five or six goalkeepers playing in the Illawarra in terms of, like, Illawarra club for an Illawarra team uh, because, yeah, I think he's a, a really good player. I will say that his first game, first trial match over in um, Lithgow against uh, Western Maryland, I remember thinking to myself, who the hell is this bloke off because he had a pretty poor game, but um, his first uh, competitive league game was sensational. So, you know, I think he's a really well goalkeeper. Good communication, good uh, command of his area, solid distribution, solid shot stopping. He saved a couple of penalties in his, in his time as well with the Flames. So, yeah, top goalkeeper.
0: Yeah, if there's anyone who I want between the sticks and the penalty, it's definitely a whitey. Jordan, who's your favourite goalkeeper that you've played with?
1: Yeah, Dylan mentioned him before, but um, back in my uh, days at the Wollongong Wolves, um, we, uh, I was fortunate enough to, to play in the defence with um, Daniel Archipa in goals. Um, he was in the I was in the mm. 18s, but he was he was in the under 20s set up. But um uh, the it, the way it worked out, um, Justin Passfield was in goals for first grade, and the the reserve grade goalkeeper for first grade. I I can't remember who it was um, off the top of my head, but he he played 20 most weeks. So we 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 got Archie for a lot of um, a lot of our games, and and he sort of came into our team when we were going on a very good winning run, and um, I remember this game at, at uh, Sutherland where Sutherland were were flying high, um, and we sort of you know it was the start of our of our good run. So we we'd had a bit of a poor start to the season, and and we went to Sutherland and and we won one 0 But but the it was a very gritty game, and we sort of scored a goal. Um, it was Jake Jake True scored. Uh, early on, and who now plays for the um, has made an appearance with um, Western Sydney Wanderers in the A League. Um, yep. He scored the first goal, and um, and from there we were sort of defending the whole game. And and Archie, I just remember him coming out every cross he collected, and every um, every shot there was no there was no shaky moments from him at the back, and and I just remember him and I'm uh, him being so commanding. And um, you know, I do I do hope he comes back uh, to play. To play competitive football because I, I do honestly think he's uh, well he is one of the if not the best goalkeeper I've ever shared a shared a field with um and he's a, a top bloke as well and um yeah I, I just remember that game specifically but it was most of the season there where he was so commanding and and kept us a lot of clean sheets and was a massive reason why we went all the way to the grand final
0: yeah right so last and probably the biggest. Discussion point of the uh, of the pod, to be honest with you, is the uh, the best local goalkeepers to do in recent times, especially in the local competitions, and in are representative squads. Now, there's a lot of names to talk about, but uh, I'll just briefly touch on a few of them. With regards to IPL, I I'll be completely bleak. I haven't seen every goalkeeper there is under the under the sun who play who's played for an IPL club, but. In my, the the best goalkeeper i've seen play in the ipl in my my short 5 years or so seeing the ipl is uh yuya Kawada. he was uh, the bloke not only was the bloke did the bloke have cat like reflexes off, off the boot and especially out of his hands he could just it was just pinpoint accurate with every single ball he hit it was just extraordinary and i'm sure dill you can back me up on those statements
2: Yeah, Yuya is right at the top of my list. He pretty much pushed the bar in terms of Illawarra Premier League goalkeeping. Extremely athletic. His agility was top-notch, which made for some incredible reaction saves. And his distribution was sensational. I can only remember one particular game where it wasn't quite like that. And that was a game against World Olympic in the early rounds of 2018 where where he shanked two... Uh, drop kicks onto the roof of the PCYC, and uh, that left people quite a because people expect the absolute best distribution from him. Um, so he's he's been a a joy to watch in the Illawarra Premier League, and two Golden Gloves back that back that up.
0: Yeah, and uh, a couple of other guys I've got on this list we've mentioned. Obviously, Mitch Blows, Maddie White. We've chatted about them. Uh, Justin Passfield obviously he's been at the walls for a long 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 time now and uh, out of the three of us Jordan's been part of that wall setup uh, did you have many experiences like watching Justin or seeing him train over the years
1: yeah i think the the biggest experience i had uh with Justin was just uh, was training with him when we when you know the squads would would intertwine and and we'd sort of um, play play you know the the small sided games and stuff like that and also games with um, you know, full size goals and and shot stopping, and he was just a, a class act, and, and he was a, he's a massive reason why the wolves are, are where they are now in terms of being national the national champions, and it it was a long time coming. There was a, a few tough years for the for the wolves, including the year I was there. It, um, it was a battling relegation for a lot of the a lot of the time in terms of the whole club. We we, we were going well, but there was the the twenties and the first were were not so crash hot. Um, but yeah, no. Justin was um, always a class act and um, pulling off miraculous saves. And and I could be wrong, but I remember in the FFA Cup game against Sydney FC, where the in two thousand and sixteen, where the, the Wolves won. Uh, oh, sorry, where the Sydney FC won three three nil. But I do remember uh, it was. Uh, I think it was just on half time, and and Sydney FC won a penalty. And and I could be wrong, but I, I have a feeling Ninkovic. Was saved by Passfield in that game, and just to sort of have that, uh, you know, composure in such a big game—probably the biggest games in the Wolves' history at that point—to uh, save such a big penalty from a world-class player, it was just shows his calibre, and uh, and yeah, and to still be playing at this, you know, at, at his um with all of the, all of his experience, it's just a, a a benefit for all of the Illawarra Premier League goalkeepers and fans alike to. To see him play because I remember him when he was a, a young rookie being a Sydney F, being a Sydney FC backup goalkeeper and he's been around for so long and to still be playing at the level he does, it's it's a testament to himself.
0: Yeah, Dil, I'm sure you've got a couple of other names on your extensive list as well as to our uh, top local goalkeepers
2: of course. I'll just touch on Passfield for a second because what's I've just got his Wikipedia page up now, it's he was at the Walls. His first into the Walls was right when they won those two – right after they won those two championships, NSL championships. And I'll just save your bacon a bit, Jordan. I don't know if that Sydney FC game could be classified as the biggest game of their history, maybe their NPL history. But uh, mm. just, yeah. I'll
1: just cover, cover, you,
2: cover your I was just thinking, was just thinking yeah,
1: that. <laughs> no, no, yeah, no, no. In recent history, yeah.
2: And um, – obviously he's he's had he's got about 50 A-League games under his belt at Sydney FC Central uh, Coast as well oh boy. Central Coast and I think most of them were at the North Queensland Fury as well and it will be interesting to see he's 34 35 now 30 34 uh, whether he ends up playing in the IPL at some point he was Hendryus did playing goals in the last game the Wolves played you never know maybe Passfield's days at the Wolves could be numbered and he might be looking to uh finish his career in the IPL. But I will say that, you know, his longevity is there for all to see. So, you know, there's there's every chance that he will come back and still be have another few seasons at uh the Wolves. But yeah, on to other local goalkeepers. I think the two next names are the likes of Hayden Jurass that I just mentioned. He's a player that, you know, his size makes him a really daunting prospect. He was He was, I believe, signed or had a spell in the youth academy at Nottingham Forest when he was younger as well. And he's he's a player that's really improved in recent years. He he seemed to, his last season at Olympic, he seemed to be a bit leaner and less muscle, and that really improved his agility and he made some... In that grand final, he made some really top saves that I think that if Olympic had won that match would have been highlighted, highlighted a lot more. He made a couple of really good one-on-one saves as well. The only thing that lets him down, I feel, slightly would be probably his distribution compared to Kawada and Sam Nastik. the next person I would bring up, his ability with the ball, his feet, probably isn't quite as good. But And then, yeah, on to Sam Nastic, he's a, a really top player, another player that's been in the MPL at one stage playing at Marconi. Very similar to Kawada in in many ways in terms of his uh, athletic ability and agility and shot stopping capabilities. Sensational with his feet as well. He did have a couple of rough seasons of late dealing with uh, some niggling injuries and whatnot, but uh, I was interviewed him as part of the Away From the Pitch podcast as well and t- he, and we were talking about how in pre this year was looking really sharp. So they're probably, the in terms of the IPL, the next two uh, keepers off the rank in terms of uh, top goalkeepers in the last few years. Any other ones we've missed, do you think? Uh, I've got a bit of a list. Um, <laughs> Bryce, Darnell, here or not. Bryce Darnell deserves a shout. He's been a part of that. He was a part of that. Uh, premiership winning side with Albion Park, White Eagles. And I, what, the season that really impressed me was 2008 in with Fernhill. Obviously, they they did really well to avoid getting relegated at the first time I've asked him. Everyone was expecting them to go down straight away, but he was a really strong figure and showed a lot of leadership capabilities at the back in that side. And obviously, it's a, he's at Belambi now, and I'll be interested to see how he fares there. A couple of names that were brought up to me by some other people include um, Daniel Beltrame, who has played for the Woollen and Wolves back in the turn of the century, and he's played plenty of games in the, um, the A-League A- clubs, including Adelaide United, Newcastle United, before they were actually in the A-League as well, and um, he was also involved in Paul Kembler, at some stage as well, and he's been a goalkeeper coach in the Alex. so he was a name that was brought up to me. Uh, more recently, Ben Wunsch was a, he had a sensational season for Oak Flats when they came fifth a few years ago, the first time they'd made the finals in a number of years. He was a captain that year, and he was easily, in my opinion, the best goalkeeper in the second division. There's Nick Lowe, a strong goalkeeper at Coromel last year. Adam Rodriguez has been really good ever since he left even when he was at Shell Cove back in the day, and then now he's at Tarawa. Uh Valon Rizvani has won plenty of uh, trophies down in the second division with uh, a lot of them connected with the Barney King uh, regime. And a name that I just also want to touch on from some of my earliest memories in the IPL when I used to go to games fairly infrequently about 10 years ago or so was the likes of Daniel who was playing for Fulham United, the brother of... Uh, Mark, and he was a pretty good shot stopper back in the day as well.
0: And Sam Nastic as well. I don't think we've mentioned him yet, but he was... Uh, uh, Having me listening to, listen to me, mate.
2: I definitely mentioned him.
1: You mentioned, men- mentioned him, Jared, come on. Yeah, oh well, oh well,
0: it's getting late at night, it's 10 to 10. <laughs> but another name I want to bring up, and no, not you guys, obviously way before our time, this is like 30 years before we were, when any of us were even born, but... Uh, Uh, An old fellow by the name of Wilf Billington. Now, uh, my grandfather played with him back in the late 1960s for the old uh, South Coast Eleven. back when they were in the state tier. And uh, Wilf actually played for South Coast Eleven and Balgownie back when they were in the New South Wales system as well. Now, Wilf played professionally at Rochdale, Blackburn, Workington and uh, Oxford, just to name a couple of clubs. But uh, Jordan, I'm going to have a fun fact for you. Guess who managed Wilf when he was playing at Workington?
1: Wow, this could be anyone, but you tell me.
0: Rather <laughs> uh, than the great Bill Shankly. Oh, right. Well... In the 1954 and 55 season, Bill Shankly was at Workington when uh, Wilf was there, so what that's a, a fun uh, fact for you.
1: What a What an education to uh, get off one of the great all-time managers.
0: Yeah, and uh, funnily enough, Wilf's uh, grandson, Rory, actually plays in uh, South Coast United's under-20 side, the uh, lanky, lanky goalkeeper.
1: Oh, so, yeah, Rory, yeah. Uh, very, tall,
0: very tall family, that family.
1: Yeah, well, it's a great trait to have as a goalkeeper, isn't it?
0: Yeah, exactly right.
2: I interviewed him uh, a few months ago as well.
0: Yeah, on the Football United Soccer City podcast. Well, I did have a listen to that. And he, he actually he interviewed my grandfather, I think, a year or two back now. But coming on last little bit, so League goalkeepers. Now, we threw out a couple of names earlier, Two that really come to mind, especially for me, uh, Maddie Ryan and uh, Clint Bolton. I, I remember watching Clint Bolton in the early Sydney FC days when I was growing up, and uh, he was definitely a keeper that I resonated with the A-League with. Dill, what about you?
2: Yeah, Bolton's right at the top of my list, followed by Maddie Ryan, who was really strong at such a young age and has obviously gone on to have a tremendous career and could go down as Australia's best ever goalkeeper. By the time it's done, but a couple of other names is Denny Vukovic, who's had a had a very interesting career. There was that that incident with the referee early doors, which uh, could have really de- derailed his career, but he's come back to have sensational that sensational spells at victory and obviously Sydney FC more loudly, and now he's playing over in Belgium, so he's a strong. Canada and also Ante Kovic who was a tremendous figure in the arguably the biggest achievement of any A-League side in winning that Asian Champions League with Western Sydney Wanderers and he's had a pretty pretty strong career in the A-League even though it was late in the day in terms of his career.
0: And two more recent names now both of uh Really taken opposite tracks. So first, I'm going to say Andrew Redmayne. Obviously, he wasn't rated very highly by a lot of people a few years back, but uh, he's gone to Sydney FC. In like in your words earlier, still he's just he's absolutely exploded in, with improvement the last couple of years. Opposite could be said for Vedran Janjic though. He was he was touted as one of the top goal, A-league goalkeepers a good uh, few years back now. But um you never, never
2: hear about him anymore. it's I think he might be still on the books at um Western Sydney Wanderers, but the red main story is fascinating because he's a really strong goalkeeper now. I think he's right on the edge of that he's been third choice for Australia for about a year or so. But he was he was pretty woeful for a good period there. But I do remember that when he was younger, because I think he was involved with Melbourne Heart and Brisbane Raw When he was younger, and he was a part of the youth teams for Australia, heading up, heading through the age group. so he was fairly highly highly rated. But then he fell pretty flat. And I thought when he went to Sydney FC, that was a he was just going to be the backup to pardon me, Andrew Redmayne, but uh, to the backup to David Dem- yeah, yeah, yeah. Vukovic left. Redmayne took the number one. Everyone, I assume, assumed they were going to get a another goalkeeper in, but he's been, yeah, fantastic. And he actually, I'm pretty sure he might have, yeah, he had a, he was, he was training with Arsenal for a bit in his youth career as well.
0: Yeah, well, uh, f- fascinating backstories of some goalkeepers. Like you mentioned earlier, Duros, I actually searched up that um, Mercury article about Jurassic going to the Nottingham Forest Academy about 11 years ago. Yeah. yeah. So I managed to dig that one out of the archives while you were speaking it. But uh, 80 minutes later, that's our podcast for another week. Uh, always fascinating chatting to YouTube likes. And uh, Jordan hasn't been interrupted by any more locals, which is always a very positive thing, especially when you're recording such a uh, a podcast like this one. <laughs>
1: it's uh the the trading hours at the uh, Jamboree pub has uh, been altered slightly so I think a lot of the the locals are, are still uh, acclimatizing if, if that's the right word to put it but uh, no it's uh, we're, all, we're glad we're allowed 50 people in the place now so it's uh it's good to be able to pour a few schooners without uh, dining and uh, doing table service anymore so um, I'm happy to happy to be here more often than not
0: and uh, Arvella, the Wollongong Portuguese pub, thank you very much for, for coming on once again as a value podcast guest.
2: Always good to hear your insight. I'm going to establish this unit of mine into a new establishment to rival the GMR Pub. Well, you're a Portuguese citizen now, so if there's anyone yeah.
0: who's going to do it, it's you. Exactly. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week. <laughs>